Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Josh. If uh, you didn't hear Kendra introduce me, oh, I actually don't need this table. I'm just going to put it over here. Um, <clears throat> and I get to kick off this series, The Weight of Your Words, The Weight of Our Words. Um, and I think it's important, and it's an important conversation to have, not only for kids, because we teach kids all the time, like, you have to mind your words. You have to use these words correctly. We're teaching kids how to use words in general. But for us adults, it is equally as important. And I want to start off by uh, doing something that requires something of you. So if I say five words, um, those five words are town, a, small, just, girl. I need, I, I need everyone's participation or else I'm going to look really dumb up here. If I rearrange these words, and some of you know where I'm going, those words alone mean nothing. They're just words in the English dictionary. But if I rearrange those words, and I say them in a row, you're going to know what comes next. So when I say it, you've got to, know, you got to say what come ne- comes next. Just a small town girl. All right, that was average. This is why we don't have a choir at CORE. And this is why I am not leading the choir at CORE. But, but words that we say, specifically, don't stop believing, maybe the most famous song of all time, leaves something inside of us. It leads us, us to be inspired. Usually when we hear that song or when we hear a lot of different songs, they, they evoke emotion in us. It's because words have the power to inspire. Words have the power to encourage. Words have the power to lift us up and to build us up and to build others up, specifically when we put them in meaningful ways. But we also know that words have the power to destroy, to wound, to hurt, to leave scars in our lives and in other people's lives. And it's not just the words that we say, it's also the words that are unsaid, right? The words that we say can be good and can be bad, but the words unsaid can be just as as harmful as the words said. Some of you in this room know that you would give anything in your life to hear a loved one, specifically maybe your father, say, I love you or I'm proud of you, or have the humility to say, I'm sorry. And if that evokes any emotion in you, it's why it's so important that we have to have this conversation about words, right? We we understand sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me. Lots of times we look at the actions of people's lives and we say, that is way, way more important than the words that we say. And although I think that's true in the general circumstance, I think when we look at the relationships that are closest to us in our lives, we can say, you know what? No, I think actions and words, they're pretty equal. And if they're not equal, words follow shortly below actions because the words of the people closest to us can leave a mark, can be really good or really bad for us, things that we'll remember for the rest of our lives. We have to remember the reason that we're talking about this is that words, they carry weight. Words carry weight in our lives specifically from the people who are closest to us, and specifically to the people who are closest to us. The words that we use affect affect them as well. We all know this from past experiences. We all know this probably from our growing up days when we are middle schoolers or high schoolers or even younger than that. Things that are said to us that we remember strictly in our minds. We're like, yep, I remember that. That, that cut deep for me. It was prom my junior year. Um, you would not consider me a lady killer. 
I, I didn't have a girlfriend until I was 21 years old. Um, I married her, and she's sitting in the back row over there. But up until that point, up until that point, I was maybe considered, like, cute. But the last thing that a high school boy wants to be known for is cute. Well, so I, what, I hadn't dated any girls, and my best friend, he was dating his girlfriend. Well, his girlfriend had a best friend herself, so they're like, well, what if, what if they come together? We all go in a group together. What if the best friends of the couple goes together? It always, it's like we're third and fourth wheeling, but we're just happening to go together, and I have to pay for the steak. So we go to prom, and I am, uh, you know, walking in, and a few minutes in, they play the first slow song. And I am a little 17-year-old Josh muster up the courage to walk up to this girl and ask her to dance because it's completely out of my comfort zone. I'm, I'm trying to be bold, courageous. I'm mustering up the courage. I walk up to her and I say, hey, will you dance to the song with me? She's sitting there and she looks at me and she says, no. And I'm like, oh, shoot. She said, I'm too tired. And instantly in my heart, I'm like, ugh, it cuts deep. Rejection, getting told no, stinks, and to hammer it home. Fifteen minutes later, she's dancing with another guy. Um, and that's what I get. That's what I get for asking her to prom over a text. Poor choice of words. Any high schoolers in the room, don't, don't ask them over text. It's a terrible idea. But we remember those moments, right? We remember those points of rejection. We remember those points of no. We remember those times where it was hard to hear something, from someone closest to us, our family, our friends, our parents specifically, because the weight of our words can sometimes, can sometimes be heavy. And the weight of our words matter, and what we choose to say matters. The hard part about this, though, is that we are so quick to realize this in other people. We're so quick to think back and say, hey, when I was growing up, I remember these said to me. But oftentimes, we don't recognize or we're too late to acknowledge the words that we say to someone else. And we leave a wake of destruction with our words because we forget the meaning and the weight that they carry. And when we're talking about this, a lot of times we can justify We can justify this slow to acknowledge or the disregard of our words because that's just who I am. We say things like, that was my generation. That's just how I was raised. I'm just being honest. I'm going to come back to that in just a little bit. But we justify this. We justify this, this action of being slow to acknowledge the weight of our words and how much weight that they carry until it's too late. And here's the why we're talking about this. Here's why we're dedicating three weeks to the weight of our words is because, well, if you're not a Jesus follower in here, this is good advice. It's good advice to mind your words, to make sure what we say is good, what is true, um, what builds other people up. But if you're, a, if you're a Jesus follower in this room, if you're a Christian, this is a non-negotiable. Like if we're, if we're tearing the most important things as far as following Jesus and walking a life of faith, this is at the very top. Because so many things that we do, so many actions that we do, so many relationships are built on the words that we say. And it ushers in this idea that Jesus brought to this earth that, hey, you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. And your words are at the tip top of that. So over the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about three dynamics that play into the weight of our words, that play into how our words impact us, 
and how other people's words impact us and how our words impact other people. So we're going to look um, in the book of Ephesians and we're going to talk about this idea that Paul lays out for us. But in this time, in the first century church, this, this message that Jesus laid into the foundation of Christianity, this message that he started this movement, the reason that we're sitting here today was echoing all throughout the Middle East. It started in Israel, and it grew, and it grew, and it grew, and years later and years later, it's not, in, not just in the Middle East, but it's in Asia, and it's in Europe, and it's in Africa, and it makes its way over to North America. And Paul is documenting this and writing to this church in Ephesus, this letter to the Ephesians, and he's writing about this exact message that Jesus is ushering in at this time. Jesus is saying, hey, this is what you need to know. In the Old Testament, before my time, there was a way of doing things. There was a way that we conducted ourselves. We sacrificed lambs, and we did all these different rituals, and we had festivals and all this. But here's what you need to know. That moving forward, all of that stuff, it, it, it mattered. But right now, all that matters is that you love others the way that God through Christ has loved you. He's ushering in this new commandment that's saying, you need to love others the way that God through Christ has loved you. And the way that we like to say it around here is that uh, we ask the question, what does love require of you? So when you're making decisions in your life, you ask yourself, okay, I get to choose A or I get to choose B. Well, what does love require of me? I'm going to choose A because that's what love requires of me. And here's what's true is that we get to see this perfect definition of love that Jesus is offering to us, that he's ushering in. And he defines it by the way that he walked. He defines it by the actions that he had and that he displayed for his disciples and the, and the thousands of people that saw him and walked with him on his journey. And the way of love that he's talking about is exactly that. It's defined, it's narrow, it's intentional. Jesus isn't just saying, hey, here's this idea of love, you choose. No, he's saying this is defined, narrow, and intentional. So in Ephesians 5, Paul writes about this. He says, follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Walk in the way of love. Jesus is saying, all right, here, here we go. We are going to start this journey, this way of love, this lifestyle that is different than you have walked before. Walk in the way of love, and you will experience the fruit of a relationship with me. You will experience the fruit of a full life. Walk in the way of love, this intentional, this bold, this sacrificial love. And here's what's true about this way of love. If we take a step back, we get to, we get to choose to follow Jesus. When it all boils down, in the, in the beginning of our relationship with Jesus, we get to choose to follow him. We make the choice to say, Jesus, I'm giving my life to you. I'm making this decision. But we do not get to choose what it looks like, reacts like, or sounds like. What it looks like has been defined. What it sounds like has been defined. The way we react to things, that way of love has been defined. We get to choose to follow Jesus, but we do not get to choose, we do not get to pick and choose what that looks like in our lives. The last part of that verse, it says, he gave himself up for us. That is, that is the definition of walking in the way of love. It's, it's being selfless. 
See, he told the disciples in his time, he's like, hey, listen, so I'm going to get taken away. And I'm going to give myself up for you. And then a couple days later, he did. And he went up on the cross and they took his life away. And in that moment, he took your sin away. And he's saying, this is what true love looks like. This is what the way of love looks like. It's sacrificial. It's bold. It's intentional. It's narrow. It's defined. And he's saying, this is our goal. This is our mission in our life, is to walk in this way of love. So the chapter before this, Paul takes this idea of, of walking in the way of love and applies it directly to the words that we say. He says this. He says, do not let any unwholesome words come out of your mouth. And he says, any for a reason. He says, not any, not one, not five, not ten, not any unwholesome. Unwholesome, that means offensive, harsh, rude, mean, distasteful. Don't let any. Your mouth is a gate. And, and Paul is saying, hey, don't let anything out of that gate that is harsh, rude, distasteful, harmful. You are the gatekeeper of the words of your mouth. You are the filter of the words of your mouth. You are not to let anything out of your mouth. Now, I'm only a few minutes in. Uh, we could all stop there and have a week, a year, the rest of our lifetime to work on that. We could stop and say, okay, we have a lifetime to say, I'm not letting un un any unwholesome words come out of my mouth, but I still have 20 minutes, so I'm going to keep going. That's just, the negative, that's just the negative side of it. But really, if we chose to do that, if we chose to work on that, if we chose to say, hey, no more unwholesome words coming out of my mouth, someone in your life would be glad that you did. Someone in your life is probably waiting for you to do that, to say, all right, I'm, I'm cutting it out. Those unwholesome words have no place in my life anymore. I'm cutting them out. But we go back to that idea that we justify them. We say, that's just who I am. That's who I was raised to be. That's just my generation. I'm just being honest. That's not honesty. Honesty is not saying everything that is true. Honesty is making sure what you say is true. There's a big, big difference. If you operate off of that first definition of honesty that, hey, I'm just going to say whatever is true, and I'm going to say it all the time, you're not going to have any friends, you're not going to have a job, your family's not going to like you, and you probably won't enjoy your life. For example, if your friend has a bad hair day once or twice a week, and you look at them and say, hey, your hair's really ugly, every single time you see them, because that's true, they, they might be having a bad hair day. And you say that their hair is ugly, every time you see them, they're probably not going to want to spend time with you. They're probably going to say, that person's to toxic, they don't encourage me at all, they're not life-giving to me, I'm not going to be friends with them. Or if you walk into your boss's office, and they make a decision that you don't like, and we've all been there before, and we all have a lot of thoughts going on in our head, like, oh, stupid. and we look them right in the eye and say, that decision was stupid. I don't know why you have your job. There's no reason for you to make that decision. I cannot believe you. And we just let him hear it. You're probably not going to have a job. And your friends probably aren't going to like you if you're just honest all the time. That is not walking in the way of love. We have to guard our mouths in what we say, and not only what we say, but what we write and what we post. And I feel pretty strongly about this. 
What you say, what you write, what you post, specifically what you post on Facebook, you can be honest. You can say whatever you want at any time. It's free speech. We live in America. But someone on the other side of your post is reading that. And you don't know where they're at. And you don't know what they're going through. And you don't know how they're processing. And guess what? The odds if that person is your friend on Facebook means they know you. And the odds if you're on Facebook and that person knows you means they know that you go to church here. But it's not just here. The odds that they know that you are a Christian is pretty high. And when they read your post, when they understand your post, when they try to perceive your post or what you say or what you write, you are being a representative of Christianity, a, a representative of Jesus. And if you post something that is not wholesome, that is unwholesome, you might change the way that someone else views Jesus. And that is why this is top-tier stuff as far as what, why we follow Jesus. Because you have the power to, to change the way that someone else views Jesus. And their eternity lays in the balance. So when you post something, or when you're thinking about posting something, your political views, your thoughts, your opinions, the things that don't really matter in the grand scheme of things, just take a second to ask yourself, what does love require of me, and what might someone perceive this to be on the other side of it? It matters, because we have to be ambassadors. We have to be representatives of the way of love, the, the picture of Jesus that he paints with his life. That's just the negative side of this. Don't let any unwholesome words come out of your mouth. Paul goes on to say this, but only words, only again, it's not, not any unwholesome words, but only. It's not, it's not negotiable. It's only, only words that are good for building others up according to their needs. Our words are like building blocks. Our words are meant to build other people up. Our words are meant to encourage. Our words are meant to inspire, not to tear down. But it's not according to what we want to say. It's according to what they need to hear. And you might say, well, Josh, that's soft. That's unproductive. How can we, how can we live in a world like that where we're just being nice all the time? All the words that we say are nice. How is Paul saying this? Because it doesn't make any sense in the workplace, in our families. How, how can we be a boss and look at our employee and say, hey, you've only showed up twice this week, but... I would love it if you come in a couple more days. So that's great. Or, or, or if you are a teacher and you're grading papers and you're like, hey, well, this is clearly an F. This is terribly written. But you're going to do better next time. So I'll give you an A minus. I'll, 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 I'll gift this to you. You teachers in the room probably know what I'm talking about. Or, or parenting your kids. How can you lead your kids to be Jesus followers, to live a, to live a good, full life with just nice words? Hey, don't touch the stove, it's really hot. It doesn't, it doesn't work, but that's not what Paul's saying. Paul's not saying, hey, just use nice words. Paul's saying, build one another up according to their needs. Lots of times that means positive words. Sometimes it means constructive criticism. Sometimes it means that we have to, have to be a little critical to help someone along. I think why we're slow about this, and I will fully recognize that I am a part of the problem here, is that we think 
what they need to hear is what I need to say, right? Like what they need to hear is what I need to say. The previous verse said according to their needs, but, but what I need to say is what they need to hear because if I'm thinking about it so much, if I have so many thoughts about it, well, then it must be true. I have to say if, if I'm so passionate about it, they must be too. They must, they must be thinking the same way that I am, and I recognize this uh, firsthand in my life. Um, a lot of nights out of the week, I sit around the dinner table with Des, and we have conversations, and lots of times she might be processing her day, a, a diff- difficult interaction she had, or a struggle that she's going through, and I sit there, and come on, guys, we know that we like to fix, and we like to offer our, our advice and be helpful, because that's what we're made to do. We're meant to, we're meant to be helpful. And I say a thought that I have, and she's like, thank you. That was so encouraging. That was so great. But the problem is I got about six more thoughts going on in my head. And what I need to say is what she needs to hear. And if the first one made her smile and feel encouraged, well, then the next six should too. So I go on and I rattle them off. I'm like, well, what about this? What about this? And you can do better at this. And she's like slowly frowning and like getting discouraged again because clearly what I needed to say is what she did not need to hear. But we fall into this trap and we think, oh, what I need to say is what she needs to hear. But the reason this isn't true is because that's not the way that Jesus operated in his life. It's, it's fine if you say what you need to say if I care more about me than you. It's fine if you say whatever you want to say. If you care about you more than the other person, more than the person on the other side of you. But Jesus steps on the scene and he says, walk in this way of love. I'm introducing an other's first life orientation. I am stepping onto the scene and saying, this is how it is done. You put yourself first. Remember, I died for you or I'm going to die for you, and I put myself before you. That doesn't make sense. I put you before myself. That's the orientation of life that Jesus invites us into, and he is blameless in this. That's why, why he's such, the, such a perfect example of who we're meant to follow. Jesus, the king. You know, kings are, kings are here to be served. Kings are here to have people around them. Kings are here to have the nicest palace and the nicest food and the nicest wine. But yet, Jesus didn't come to be served. He came to serve. And he says, this is the example you are supposed to follow. It's not about what you need to say. It's about what they need to hear so that they can be built up. So that they can be built up. It finishes like this, it says, that it may benefit those who listen. They will be built up. So when you leave that conversation, when you leave an interaction with someone, with your words, they should be better because of it. Your word should be a gift to someone else when you leave a conversation, when you leave an interaction with someone, when you leave a post for everyone to see, it should be a gift to the people who see it. It should benefit them. And build them up according to their needs so that it will benefit them. Now, going back to the whole thing about saying hard things, right? It's not all about just being nice. There is a time and a place to give constructive criticism. 
There's a time and a place to say the hard things in life, but you know this because we're all smart people. People can see through a plan. If we're scheming, if we're just trying to get what we want and saying hard things, if we're just trying to get something out of someone, they aren't going to receive it. Your harsh words or your hard words to hear are going to bounce right off because they don't trust you. Trust has to come first. It's why our intent is just as important as our content. It's why what we feel and care about that other person matters just as much as what we need to say. That person on the other side of us has to know that we have their best intentions in mind. That when we pull out this this hard thing that we have to say to build them up, we have to ease into it and we have to show them that we care. That our intent is to build them up, not to just get something we want. Because Jesus said, a selfless lifestyle. It's not about me. It's about the person on the other side of you. Let's read this one more time so we don't forget it. Don't let any unwholesome words come out of your mouths, but only words that are good for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So it may benefit those who listen. That's what leads us into the first dynamic for the three things we're going to talk about over the next couple weeks. The first dynamic is this, is that words, words are not equally weighted. Your negative words weigh way more than your positive words. Right? Our words, a lot of times, will weigh one pound. Right? If, we, if we paint this picture, you're carrying one pound of your words and you're, you're saying those to a bunch of people. One pound doesn't do any damage. One pound is good. One pound doesn't hurt, but But before we know it, if we're slow to acknowledge it, our words turn into a hundred pounds. And a hundred pounds of anything can really hurt. And it can damage. And it can even kill. And if we don't realize that our words weigh a lot, especially the negative ones, because we know that the negative ones weigh way more than the positive ones, that we we need to adjust our approach on the words that we say and the things that we say to people and how that's going to impact them. Right? We, we've heard all the studies of like, hey, if you have one negative interaction, you need five positive interactions to counterbalance that one. And I think that's true like in our workplace or with people that we don't really know. But when it, going back to that idea of when it comes to the people who are closest to us, when it comes back to the, the, our inner circle, our friends, our family, the people who are closest to us, that ratio is a lot bigger. It's not just one to five. It might not even be one to ten. It's more like one to twenty. Or 1 to 30. We have to balance out those negatives so that the people closest to us can hear the negatives or hear the constructive criticism. We have to pour on the positives, pour on the encouragements so that they will receive that, so that they will hear us in that. It's important. And to the guys in the room, girls, you don't have to listen for this moment, but for the guys in the room, Around Shelby specifically, I see the, the immense talent and gift of working and using our hands and flipping an entire school building to turn it into a church and showing up to work nights when necessary and showing up to things that, that have to get done and putting in the work. But when it comes to our words, 
we probably don't say enough of them. That's when all the women say amen. But as the men, as men, we probably don't say enough words. And the odds are is that if you don't say a lot of words, if not a lot of words come out of your mouth, the odds are that the ones that do come out of your mouth are probably, are more often than not, corrective or critical or harsh. And that matters because, as guys, our kids need to hear those words. Our kids need to be corrected. Our kids need to be led in a way out of respect and out of discipline, and and we need to do that. But your ratio as guys, as fathers, as men, your ratio is more like 50 or 100 to 1 because your words weigh 100 pounds. Your words weigh 1,000 pounds. They weigh way more than we can ever imagine, and we have to steward that well. We have to be careful with that. We have to say, no unwholesome words are coming out of my mouth, only what is to build others up, only what is to build our kids up. It matters that much because it's not about you. It's not about you, it's about them. It's about your kids. It's about your family. It's about the people who are closest to you. And if we want to walk in this way of love, we have to take a step back and say, it's not about me. I need to pour on these positives because my negatives weigh a lot. My negatives weigh a lot. Your words weigh a lot. Your words are not created equal. Negative words weigh way more than positive words, and we have to get this right. We have to understand that in order to follow Jesus, this is a non-negotiable, non-essential. Again, if you don't follow Jesus in this room, this is just good advice. It's a good way to live your life. But if you do, if you do, we have to get this right. For the sake of our friends, our family, specifically the next generation, because you are painting the picture of what the future of Christianity looks like. And we have to paint a good picture. We have to look and say, Jesus, you modeled this for us so well. This way of love, this defined way of love that we don't get to pick and choose, this defined way of love that we get to follow and represent for the next generation. Don't let any unwholesome words come out of your mouth, but only what is good for building others up so that it may benefit them. Two questions before we head out. Where do you have work to do? As this takes humility, this first says, in order to identify where I need to get to work, I have to acknowledge I need to get to work. And I would be the first to say that this is an imperfect aspect of my life, that I have areas that I need to get to work at too. And who hopes that you'll get to work soon? Who hopes that that's sooner rather than later? Who's going to benefit from you choosing to not let any unwholesome words out, but only what is good for building up? I'd love to pray for us. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the example that you set for us. God, I pray that we 
would see that, that we would see your way of love, we would see this new commandment that you have given us, and that we would choose to follow it to the best that we can. That we would hear uh, what's going on inside of our heads and be able to filter out the things that aren't necessary, aren't good, that tear other people down. Got it instead, build each other up. Because that's what you've called us to do. You've called us to live in each other's lives and build each other up and make a difference. And I pray that you'd lay that on our hearts. Show us where we need to get work done. Show us where we can improve, where we can make a difference. God, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.